0: Grateful, grateful for, for who you are. And Lord, as we just remembered for the fact that you gave your body as a ransom, that you were the sacrifice to reconcile our relationship with you. Lord, we praise you for that alone. Lord, we thank you for the souls that you have brought in here. Lord, I pray that your word is is proclaimed in both spirit and in truth, that your truth is not wavered from, and I pray that a soul sees that for the first time, that your gospel brings peace, it brings joy. But most of all, it brings eternal life in a relationship with you. Lord, I pray for those that are not able to be here, whether not able to be here in person, that you give them an opportunity to worship you today. Of course, whether it be online, but wherever it is, Lord, remind them that where two or three are gathered, you are in their midst. God, I have on my heart this morning the persecuted church across the globe. Those that are worshiping you in a basement, in hiding from the government or authorities or whoever it may be, some even from family, God, give them a cup of cold water. Whatever it is that they need, allow them to worship you truthfully. Lord, you're not limited to a building, and we thank you for that. God, touch a soul this morning. Help a soul to see you, as I said, for the first time. Show your face in a way that can't be denied, as you have done for so many of us. Lord, allow me to become less so that you can become more. And God, if I get in the way, push me out. This is your service. This is to worship you. And again, I pray that you get the glory. I become less and your name become more. Lord, for those of us that follow you, I collectively speak for them when I say that we love you so much. We're so thankful for who you are, for what you've done, and what you're continuing to do in our life. God, it's in your son, Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. Thank you, Katie. Now you know um, we don't usually do this, but but a few months ago, uh, one of our dear brothers in the Lord, and, and one of our uh, 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 one of our members here, a friend to so many, he underwent a really hard time, very unexpected. I'll never res- I'll never forget getting the the phone call on a Saturday night and kind of getting an update as to what was going on, what the situation was. And and I remember saying, you don't need to call me, you need to call 911. And to this, his response was, Ryan, I'm Dutch. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, okay. I can't fight you there. But anyway, a number of months went by, and and he ended up having to go to uh, many different hospitals, rehab facilities, um, to the point where no, we didn't know what the end was going to hold. Well, our friend and our brother, Jim Stopp, he's here with us this morning after a whirlwind of months. Jim, do you raise your hand? <clears throat> God truly did a work through Jim, one that I've never seen before. Um, And he he really used so many here at Hope Community Church to come alongside of of Jim and Eleanor in this season. And and God bless you, Eleanor, for sticking right there next to him the whole time. The word that I, that I gave to her a few months back, I don't know if you remember this, Miss Eleanor, but it was this. It came from Isaiah 41, verse 9 and 10. You are my servant. I have chosen you and have not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. so many of us can, can testify to that this morning, right? Well, God is good. God is faithful. Jim is with us again, and we are praising him for that. We give him the glory, as I know Jim does, too. Okay. Let's posture our hearts. I'm going to pray again before we dive into the message this morning. God, we ask that you do a move, that you radically move this morning. Lord, we thank you for the work that you've done in in Jim's life and the way that you have shown yourself to so many through that process. God, we give you the glory. God, again, speak this morning. Lord, I beg you to speak this morning to a soul. I love you. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, if you have been with us for the last few months... Um, you know that we are going through the study of 1st Peter. And I, of course, would like to invite you to join me there. Peter, again, is is writing to um, a body of believers that are escaping persecution. Um, And and we're now going to see that these uh, believers, and even the disciple Peter, had an interesting impression they were under this impression that Jesus was going to be coming back in their lifetime and this this assumption that they were under is a valid one they they witnessed if you think about it you got to again put yourself in their shoes They witnessed the life and the ministry of Christ. They they saw his death on a cross. And, of course, they even witnessed and experienced his resurrection. And then they saw the resurrected Christ reveal himself to hundreds of people. Today, history can't reject this. Science actually proves it. But Peter witnessed it. He was there. He walked with them. He walked with him. They then recalled the words that he said throughout his ministry, like in John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go prepare a place for you, listen, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. It wasn't a question of If he was coming back, it was when. Now, if I would have heard these words, if I would have heard the teachings of Jesus himself, I would also assume that he was going to be coming back within my lifetime. But this is actually a general statement that he said to his disciples and those that heard. He said, I'm coming back You don't know the day or the hour, but I will promise you that I will be back. Peter took these words very seriously, as we're going to read here, and so should we. As Peter is getting to the end of this letter, some of you are like, praise God, what's next, Ryan? What's next?" As Peter's getting to the end of this letter, he's starting to get a little bit more to the point, if you will with the overall reason that he wrote it in the first place. So we know that he's coming back. We are aware that the persecution will ramp up as we've been learning and as we are currently witnessing, that this then focuses us to ask ourselves as people of God, as followers of Jesus, what do we do about it? He's coming back. What does that mean? Why is that important? Do we look for signs of his return and and then go into hiding while we're waiting? Do we become fearful and anxious because of the way that the things are starting to look in our world? Today we're going to be looking at three different things that we must do as believers, as as Peter says, not me, as Peter says, as the end of times are approaching. So follow along. First Peter chapter 4. you got a Bible in front of you in the seat pocket. Go ahead and grab that one. It's going to be the same version that I'll be using. 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, verse 7 through 11. Chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. I'll start off by reading verse 7. Here it is. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Point number one, the end of times calls us to obedience. The end of times calls us to obedience. It's a very important verse we just read Peter is actually saying a lot here he says the end of all things is at hand or the end times are close by or Jesus is coming soon so be ready when is he coming I don't know but I do know that he is so get ready to that I pose the question my friend are you ready are you ready? He gives us two ways to be assured that you are. He says, have self-control and be sober-minded. Have self-control and be sober-minded. The skeptic in the room is saying, oh, no, here we go. The, the preacher is going to condemn drinking. That's, he's gonna, That's where he's going with this, the sober-minded. Hang on keep listening. It's easy to take this out of context. This is why we take these books of the Bible just a little bit at a time so that we can fully digest what the author's saying. This verse has a twofold meaning. Yes, we are to remain sober. And personally, I strongly believe that. Sober in the sense that we are not to be drunk with wine. We should not cloud our mind with drugs as I have seen the effect not only on myself, but on people close to me, that that being under the influence does. Not only that, and most importantly, there's text all throughout the Bible that reminds us as believers of the essential role of not partaking in passions, drunkenness, drinking parties, and so on. You can go back and read verse 1 through 6 that we just covered last week, if you'd like. But Peter is actually writing about a different form of being sober-minded. The way that Dr. Warren Wearsby Wearsby puts it is that we should keep cool. No need to freak out about the Lord coming back. No need to develop this rabbit trail of prophecy that gives us an exact date and minute that the king will make his return. No need to go and write and publish articles and and books about the specific, precise day and time. Don't be anxious. Be sober-minded. Whenever I would see my my Uncle Warren and we would get on this topic of of prophecy, he would always tell me that if anyone tells you the date or the time that Christ will be coming back, rest assured that he will not be coming back on that date or time. Being sober-minded in this context is telling the reader that the process is not as important as the promise. And if we are fully aware of this promise, then we should take utterly serious the way that we should live while we wait for it to come to fruition. It's not the process, but the promise. The confusion comes where the the reader can easily translate this passage of of needing to be ready for Christ's return by being sober-minded and and self-controlled. But Peter is saying that this is not just for the return of Christ, but For the sake of your prayers, Christ doesn't hear the prayers of the one whose mind is occupied by the things of this world because Christ is not of this world. And quite frankly, neither are you, Christian. How can you be heard by a God in heaven when your life is under control of the things on earth? The Apostle Paul wholeheartedly agrees with this. In Colossians 3, he writes, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are of earth. The believers in persecution that Peter is writing to need the reminder that they need not dwell on their, on their circumstances but rather the God of whom those circumstances lie. God is in control. You are not. And neither is the king that is trying to kill you, Peter writes. The king of kings is on the throne. And trusting him and his promises allows you to have peace in the middle of whatever it is that the world brings. If you're noticing that you're constantly falling into the trap that you are having trouble trusting God, maybe that's because you're trusting in something that is not of God. When you start to trust in anything that's not of God, you start to feel that anxiety creep in. And then you start to feel your heart race. And then you notice that you begin to live in the fear of the future or or just fear in general. It's this anxiety that's not of God. All of this because you're focusing and trusting in something that God wants to free you from. Anxiety is not always the problem, but rather the side effect of a a lack of trust in the true king. God is a jealous God, and he created you to worship and submit to him. And if you're one foot in and one foot somewhere else, you really aren't actually in it all. God is an all-or-nothing God. And to be all-in, Peter writes, you must remain sober-minded. Be self-controlled. Be aware of your surroundings. Arm yourself with the gospel. Keep your faith in Jesus. And most of all, love one another. Let's keep reading. Verse 8 and 9. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Point number two, the end of time calls us to love. The end of time calls us to love. Keep Loving one another earnestly, Peter writes. The Greek word for earnestly is ektene. The literal translation is a zealous. It's, zealous it's, it's passionate. It's intense. In other words, let nothing get in the way of the love that you have for one another. The world around you may be falling apart. You may be confused as to the direction that you're to go. You may not have clarity regarding what the future holds. You just may not know what to do. But the best way that it can be put is that when you don't know what to do, don't. Okay, I've heard that before. When you don't know what to do, don't when there are doors that just keep closing in front of you, or, on the other hand, when there are too many doors that are open to you, when you feel like everything you touch falls apart, or maybe you're in a season where everything you touch turns to gold. No matter the situation or the circumstance, whether freedom or captivity, never let that get in the way of the love that you have for one another. This is a reiteration of of the words of Jesus. He stated, This is how the world will know that you are my disciples. By the way that you love one another, my friend, how are you loving one another? I so often get get this situation because of my testimony, and and if I'm honest, I I abandon it myself when when a parent or, or a spouse or, or friend comes to me and says, you need to talk with my son or my daughter or my friend, and, and you need to talk them into having a relationship with Jesus. You know, we've heard the word backsliding before, right? And really, I, I absolutely, from the bottom of my heart, love getting these opportunities. And I've seen much fruit come from conversations with people who have gone astray, as the world puts it. But at the end of the day, if I could talk a person into salvation, that would not only make me God, but it sure would make God look very small. And let me tell you that God is not small. He's actually such a big God that we truly can't even comprehend His size. But salvation is not based on a conversation. It's based on the work of the Holy Spirit. And it never happens how you would expect it. Let that be an encouragement to you. My advice is so simple to to those that that bring these situations to me. And I, man, if you have a relative and you're saying, man, my my son, my daughter, my cousin, my mother is strange and they need someone to talk to you, please know my door is open. My phone works great. I would be more than happy to talk with them. But my advice is so simple. After you have tried every single avenue, after you have shared the true gospel and provided them with the reason for the faith that you have, and if they still have have not accepted it, you're left with the last feet of Jesus. And you don't stop praying until you can't speak. till the last breath that you take. And the next thing that you do is what Peter writes here. You love them. You don't love them in the form of letting them into your life full throttle, allowing them to have control and power over you, but you love them with boundaries. Maybe it's something like, son, I love you so much more than you will ever be able to know, but I will not allow you to come back to my house while you are under the influence of alcohol. Or maybe it's to a parent who who so often brings their toxic, narcissistic behavior around your young children, and and after warning, after warning, and after grace, after grace, they refuse to change. Change. That is when you have to love them and protect your family by saying that you are no longer welcome in this home until you have received professional guidance. You see, love does not condone sin, love does not commit sin, love covers sin. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm covered. That neighbor wasn't listening. Say it again. I'm covered. Look at your other neighbor all at once. Come on. I'm covered. Because of the blood of Jesus, your sins once were like scarlet, but now they are white as snow. My friend, I'm covered. Are you covered? If you're covered, say, I'm covered. Now, these conversations that you have with these that are struggling are never easy. In fact, they're probably some of the hardest that you ever will have. But by being passive about such issues, you're, you're actually enabling the people that are responsible. And when you enable them, you're no longer loving them, but you're affirming their damaging lifestyle. That's a word for someone this morning. Passionate love protects. Passionate love provides. Passionate love has boundaries. Passionate love is Christ-like. Peter then, as he is so good at doing throughout his letters, he drops this in there. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. When Peter commands this, it's a command. It's not an option. It's Peter showing the best way to use the resources that God has entrusted you with. You're, you're saying, well, what does that mean? Well, what does showing hospitality mean that Peter is writing about? It means that in the most literal sense. If you go back to the original Greek, it, it, it's the most literal hospitality that you could think of. Keep in mind the context. Keep in mind the context. At the time of this writing, there were very few inns or hotels, right? Because we saw that with Jesus. He was born in a manger because there there was very little room at the inn. So there were very few inns. And for the ones that did exist, they were often full and expensive. So the poor Christians could not afford them anyway. Not only this, but... For the Christians that were being persecuted or were running from the government, those that this letter was actually written to, they not only needed a sufficient place to stay, but they needed a safe place to stay. So Peter is saying, you have people that are dying for their faith, people that are dying because of their lack of safety. For goodness sake, open your doors to your brothers and sisters in Christ. He's reminding them to show hospitality. You don't see him write about opening your doors to certain ethnicities or abilities or giftings. He said, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Don't complain about it. What is yours is actually what God is allowing you to have, so really it's not yours anyway. You're just a steward of it. Now, I don't want you to to hear me preach this and say that I'm telling you to to get rid of the front door of your house. It's not the point that I'm trying to make. We've all seen what happens as a result of not caring about your personal security. I mean, look at our southern border. I'm saying that if there is a person in your life that you trust that needs help and you have the resources to do so, My friend, do it. And do it with no strings attached. Don't expect a payment. Don't expect interest or a return. Don't even expect a thank you. But know that by serving the least of these, you could have served an angel without even knowing it. Let's keep reading. Verses 10 and 11. Amen. Point number three, the end of time calls us to serve. The end of time calls us to, su- to serve. Peter then shifts his focus once again and puts attention to the gifts that we receive. He categorizes these two gifts into two different categories. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by strength, That God supplies. Putting it simply, whoever teaches and preaches should do so truthfully and to the best of their ability, and whoever serves with strength or the behind the scenes type serving should do it with all their might. It's so interesting the importance that each author of the Bible writes about in terms of preaching truthfully. If you read any of the books from cover to cover that are in this Bible, You'll notice that the author is constantly reminding the readers that the gospel must not be straight from and needs to be done truthfully. This has not changed today. We have so many false gospels out there and we're not going to go there this morning, but Peter is persistent that if you have the gift of preaching or teaching, you better do it truthfully and for the glory of God. And he said the same about the way that we are to serve one another with whatever gift that we have. 1 Corinthians says it well, and I know so many of you know this, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever gift God has given you, use it for his kingdom, his glory, and his church. These gifts are to be used with respect, with honor, and with humility. But most important, they are to be used with love, in love, and to represent the love that Christ has for us. You know, I, when I, I used to work at a, at a, at a Bible college, um, I worked in the marketing department, And and part of our job, it was a radio station as well. And and what we were going to do was we were going to take some of the different ministries of this school and we were going to put it on the radio and promote them. And and we got to the point of having to promote the worship ministry at this, this school. And what the worship ministry did is exactly that. They trained pastors and leaders in worship how to lead the church to glorify God through music. And of course, the idea was that they would then graduate, they would get opportunities to go and lead at different churches throughout the country, even throughout the globe. And we were in a meeting, and and the reason that we were called to do this meeting is because we were wanting to put this worship ministry, start promoting it on the air, it was a radio station, and we were trying to figure out how we were going to do this well. And you know we're, we're coming up with strategy after strategy and thinking, this is what we need to do, this is how we're going to do it, how are we going to make you sound good? How we? It's important to note that the worship ministry at this point was falling apart. And, and, and that's the reason that we are going to be putting them and put, putting so much energy and time into promoting them is because it was falling apart. So we're sitting here with this man, almost 70 years old, who ran the dean of, this, of the worship ministry and, and I could just see he is so uncomfortable. And we're questioning him, asking him about interviews and whatnot. And, and, I, and by his uncomfortability, and of course I was like 20 years old. So I said to him, I was, like, I was like, doctor, why are you struggling? Why is the worship ministry deteriorating? They were having to sell instruments, cut staff. And he looked at me for three seconds and didn't say a word. Let me tell you, it felt like an eternity. And he said, Ryan, it's not the staff. It's not the curriculum. It's not the instruments. It's the heart of the leaders coming through our school. No one wants to lead worship, but they all want to be on the radio. No one wants to glorify God through the gifts that they were given. They all want to be recording artists, and we don't raise up recording artists. We raise up worship leaders. It needs to be made clear that gifts are not what you want to have, but rather what God gave you to glorify himself. And on top of that, they are not for your prosperity, they are not for your entertainment, and they sure aren't for your ego. They are for the glory of God and the prosperity of his kingdom. Man, let me tell you that when you can align your passion with God's calling, you're about to make a major impact for God's kingdom and a huge dent on the enemies. So you're saying, well, Pastor, what is my calling? To that I would respond, you find your calling by chasing after God's heart with all that you have. And when you're aligned with what God desires on this side of eternity, it will become more and more clear with what he desires for you. Because what God desires is the glory, and what that requires of you is your heart. Don't focus on your calling. Focus on knowing God through Jesus Christ. And when you chase after God with everything you have, you will prioritize your purpose, not for your good, but for the good of the kingdom of God. My friend, as Peter writes, the end of time is at hand. Are you ready? Let's pray. God, we thank you. We glorify you in our words and our worship. We pray that we can glorify you throughout our week. God, when we raise up our hands on a Sunday, allow us to do it at work, at school, around our family, around our friends. God, use us. Give us the boldness to proclaim your name, and give us the grace to love one another in the same way that you love us. God, we say thank you. Thank you for your cross. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to earth to die on the cross for our sins, but not just dying, rising again three days later so that through faith in him, we can have eternal life and a relationship with you. It's in your Son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.